If you've got your Bibles with you this morning, and I hope that you do, please take them and turn with me once again to the Scriptures, but not once again to Philippians. We're going to go backwards. We're going to go to the left this time and turn to the book of Galatians. And I enjoyed preaching the final chapter of Philippians so much last week that I thought, well, we'll just preach the final chapter of Galatians this week. You know, it just makes sense. I don't know why it does, but it does. And, and what I want us to consider this morning is a relationship that exists that we just talked about, a relationship that exists between us and the Calvary Children's Home. And, it, and it's indicative of something that I believe the Apostle Paul writes about here in the book of Galatians in chapter 6 in a sermon that I have entitled, Bearing and Sharing. And, and, and I believe that's exactly what believers are supposed to do. I believe that as, as faith-filled believers in Christ, we are to bear with one another and we are to share with one another. And I believe that this passage here in Galatians 6 explains both how and why we are supposed to do that. I'm going to begin reading in verse 1, but I want to set the context for you just because I think that's important. Because chapter 5 comes before chapter 6. I know that's shocking, but it does. And in chapter 5, Paul actually identifies two different ways of living life. One of them he describes as living according to the lusts of the flesh. Back in chapter 5, verse 19 and through 21, he says that the lust or the works of the flesh are these. And listen to this list. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. Now, that's a fairly long list, and there's absolutely nothing good on it. On the other hand, though, Paul goes on to describe the life that produces the fruits of the Spirit of God. And he tells us in verses 22 and 23 of chapter 5, he says that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, that's admittedly a shorter list, but it's actually more comprehensive. It's broader in scope. And it's everything on that list is good. So having identified those two different ways of living and, and having established a, that there is a difference, there's a contrast that exists between them, Paul goes on to say in the closing verses of chapter 5 that, that those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. And he says, if, if we live in the Spirit, then we'll also walk in the Spirit. And he says, let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. In other words, we don't have to live. We are not supposed to live a life that is enslaved to the lusts of our flesh. Rather, we are sub to submit ourselves to the leading of the Holy Spirit. And listen, when we live that way, when, when we live spirit-led, spirit-filled lives, it will affect our relationships with one another. It's going to affect how we live with one another, how we deal with one another, how we respond to one another, how we are held accountable to one another, and what our responsibilities to one another are. The fact is, since we belong to Christ and since we have been filled with His Spirit, we do not live as islands unto ourselves, but rather we, we have a shared responsibility to and for each other. And how that looks is what Paul begins to describe for us beginning in verse 1 of chapter 6. So read that with me. We're going to read down through verse 10, and, and Paul writes this, Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. 
bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one examine his own work, and then he will have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. For each one shall bear his own load. Let him who is taught the word share in all good things with him who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. He who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. Let us not grow weary while doing good. For in due season, we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Therefore, as we have the opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of God. And it's for the people of God. Let's pray together this morning. Lord, we are so grateful for you and grateful for your blessings upon us. We're grateful for this beautiful Sunday morning that you've given us. We're grateful for the extra hour sleep that we got last night. We're grateful, Lord, that you have brought Calvary Children's Home back to us again this year for us to be able to celebrate with them and to rejoice in the good things, the testimonies that have already been shared, the, the pointing us to Jesus. We're grateful for the opportunity to open your word. We're grateful to be able to study and tell, to tell us all the good things that you have done for us. So I pray that you would just continue to encourage our hearts and our time together this morning. May you be lifted up, honored, and glorified. We don't want anyone else to receive any glory this morning but you, because you're the only one worthy of it. And We praise you, and we thank you for all that you've done for us in Christ's name. Amen. As I mentioned to you, the premise, I believe, of this text is that those who live their lives in submission to the Spirit of Christ will conduct themselves differently than those who give themselves over to the lusts of the flesh. And that difference can be distinguished, and I think in many ways, I think there's a lot of different ways that we could see how that works its way out in, in various ways. But, but here in Galatians 6, Paul zeroes in on how the Spirit-filled lives of believers relate to one another? How, how do they respond and relate to each other? And I have simplified what Paul says by stating that as believers, we are to bear with one another and we are to share with one another. But Paul gives us a little more detail of that. So let's zero in on what he says there. Listen to verse one again. He says, brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself lest you also be tempted. So what does bearing and sharing look like according to this verse? Well, notice the first point on your outline. I've given it to you there in your bulletin. The first one is this, is that spiritual people restore one another. Spiritual people restore one another. This verse describes what a proper response of a Christian brother or sister is to another Christian brother or sister who has stumbled or fallen into sin and what that looks like. And the proper response is restoration. To restore something means literally to mend it. It's a word that was used in medicine of, the, of a doctor setting a broken bone or, or, re, or uh, pushing a, a dislocated joint back into place. And in that sense, Paul is using this verb to, to mean that spirit-filled believers should aid a help and, and give aid to a, to a brother or sister who has fallen into sin so that they can return to the spiritual condition that they fell from. That doesn't mean that a person is maligned or mistreated or gossiped about, and it doesn't mean that they're berated and beaten up. That's not what it means to restore someone. Rather, Paul instructs that such restoration is to be done in a spirit of gentleness and, and considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. 
Gentleness means meekness. It means power under control. Gentleness gentleness is the opposite of self-righteousness. It's the opposite of being judgmental. And consequently, living according to the Spirit necessitates that we show gentleness toward our brother or sister. It it doesn't mean that we ignore their sin. It doesn't mean that we pat them on on the head and say it's okay. That's not what it says. But it also doesn't mean that we're to look down upon them as if they are somehow less than we are. We seek to restore them while recognizing just how weak we are and how easy it is for us to succumb to temptation ourselves. Now, Paul doesn't set out for us all the details of how that's to, the, that process of restoration works here. There are other passages of Scripture that focus directly in on that. Paul is simply here giving us the idea that there is a responsibility that spirit-filled believers have to one another, and there's an accountability that we have to one another, particularly when one is overtaken by sin. We are to bear with one another, and we are to share with one another. In the process of restoration, it requires the bearing and the sharing. It's necessity. That leads to the next way that Paul identifies the spiritual people, how they're to relate to one another. The second point is this. Spiritual people bear one another's burdens. They bear one another's burdens. Verse 2, bear one another's burdens. There you go. There's your point right there. Bear one another's burdens. Why? Fulfill the, by doing so, fulfills the law of Christ. All of us know what it means to have burdens. We know what it's like to feel sickness and and financial stresses and and anxieties and and, and, and loneliness and and all kinds of things that can be burdens upon us. And the assumption that lies behind Paul's command there in verse 2 is that God does not mean for believers to carry those burdens by themselves. Sometimes our burdens can be so heavy that we don't know if we can take the next step. Consequently, Paul instructs us who are spiritual that we have to be willing to come alongside those who are underneath those burdens and help them and bear them up. How is that done? Well, it can be done in a number of ways. Intercessory prayer is one of the primary ways that a believer has the ability to bear up the burdens of someone else, to pray for someone in the midst of their trouble, in the midst of their struggles. Praying for God's help, praying for God's aid, praying for God's comfort and and His Spirit to rest upon them. But you know, there's some very practical ways too. A warm hug sometimes goes a long way. A warm hug, a card written and sent in the mail just to let someone know that you're thinking about them and praying for them. Sometimes when someone's going through some difficulties, maybe just come and clean in their house for them, fixing some food to take over so that they have one less thing on their plate that day. There are a number of ways that we can come alongside one another and build one another up and bear each other's burdens. I still think about our relationship with Calvary Children's Home. I think about the fact that we we have the, the real privilege to come alongside them and help lift the burdens that they have in ministering to these kids. We have that ability through being able to provide food for them, being able to provide the, the necessities of living, the same necessities that we all have in our home, they have in their homes. And we have that wonderful opportunity to come alongside them and and to provide for them monetary needs so that they can get the things that they need sometimes that we wouldn't even know about. All so that they can continue to instill in these children the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ so that they can continue to hear that Christ died for them and that they're not good, but He is, and that He has come to give them eternal life. In a very real sense, we are bearing with them and we are sharing with them. And notice that when we do that, in doing so, we fulfill the law of Christ. 
In this phrase, Paul reminds his readers of what he said back in Galatians 5, verse 14. If you turn there, you'd see, for all the law is fulfilled in this one word, even this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Brothers and sisters, when we are led by the Spirit of God, as our text reveals to us, we will seek to restore those who have erred, and we will seek to bear one another's burdens. And then notice the next point on your outline. Spiritual people will consider others more important than themselves. Verse 3, I think, it's, I think Paul realized that that verse 2 was going to create a little bit of trouble. I think he realized that he was fixing to touch a subject that was going to be a little hard for some people to get along. So he decided to explicate a little further on that from verses 3 through 5. And I want you to notice he has some fairly stern warnings that he, he issues there, some words that, that we should have a proper view of ourselves. In case we, in ta- case we get a little puffed up and, and prideful, Paul comes alongside us here and makes sure that we understand that that's not the proper behavior of spirit-filled believers. He issues a strong warning to anyone who might be tempted. He says, in effect, if anyone thinks himself to be something, well, he's nothing. That's pretty tough. That gets right in the middle of the wheelhouse and rattles all the pots and pans and rings every bell. The reason that's the case is because a high opinion of oneself fails to recognize that it is only because of Christ's grace and his mercy that, that we have anything in this life and that we have any hope for the life to come. And therefore, for one to think of himself as something is self-deception. It is engaging in the act of fooling oneself. That's what Paul said. I love the story of, that I heard one time about the heavyweight uh, champion of the world, Muhammad Ali. He was, he, was currently having, he was currently the champion at this time, and he was on a plane, and he was boarding the plane, and, and he sat down, and the plane was ready for takeoff, and the stewardess told him, look, you need to buckle your seatbelt. And he looked at her, he said, Superman don't need no, no, no seatbelt. She looked at him and said, well, Superman don't need no airplane. <laughs> the preacher who told this story Reminded his congregation, he says, sooner or later, people who think they are something they are not will end up crashing back to earth. That's what Paul's warning about here in verse 3. And therefore, he goes on to say that the way to avoid such a crash is to view oneself the way that God views us. Notice that in verse 4, Paul says that we are to examine our own work. We are to test our own actions. In other words, we are to assess our own opportunities and our own responses to them. We're not to evaluate ourselves horizontally one to the other. We're not, we're not to see how we stack up to Sally or to Joe. No, we are to test ourselves to see how we measure up to God's standard. And when our actions meet God's test, then we can properly take pleasure in his praise in our life. And then Paul adds to this statement in, in, in verse 5 something that that may seem contradictory to what he said back in verse 2. He says, for each one shall bear his own load. Paul says that there in verse 5. The word to bear is the exact same word that's used in verse 2, but but the word for burden is different from the word that means load. The word burden is something that's difficult, heavy. It's like that freight that's put on a freighter that goes out to sea. That's something that's too heavy for us to bear on our own. But the word load in verse 5 doesn't mean burden. It actually means the weight of our own personal responsibility before God. What that means is that each one of us have a responsibility to one another, yes, to come alongside and bear each other's burdens, 
But we must also remember that that Paul is reminding us we all have an individual responsibility before God and that one day we will stand before him and we will be held accountable for our individual actions and for our individual obedience to his commands. One day we will give an answer to God both for what we have done and for what was left undone in our life. And if I could summarize Paul's arguments in verses 3 through 5, I would do it this way. I would say that he is pointing to us to the fact that spiritual people must recognize their own accountability to God and to their brothers and sisters in Christ, considering what they have been given and for all that they have been forgiven. Such a recognition, I want you to know, will not lead to pride that results in us thinking higher of ourselves than we ought to. Rather, it will lead to humility and to service, where we seek to put the interests of others ahead of our own. Which leads me to the next point, the final point on your outline, and that is this, this. Spiritual people share with one another. Spiritual people share with one another. Remember that Paul is writing this letter to a church, and so as such, the contents of his, of his comments here come within the life of the church, where where brothers and sisters of Christ come together and, and where they come together for worship. And the context there makes clear what he's speaking about there in verse 6, where he speaks of that the one who is taught must share with the one who teaches. And let me just simply point out that what Paul is referring here to here is a, is a relationship of mutual sharing. Both the pastor and the church have something to share with one another. The church shares with the pastor the thing who teaches them all good things. That's what Paul says. And the pastor in turn shares with the church the fruits of his labor in studying God's word. That's, that's verse 6, but keep that in mind. Look down then at verse 10. Because according to verse 10, we notice that Paul doesn't confine the issue of sharing good things with the pastor only. He makes the point that, sh- that, that spiritual brothers and sisters ought also to be willing to share with others, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Now, what's obvious is between the comparison of verse 6 and verse 10 tells us this, is that sharing is what spiritual people are supposed to do. We're supposed to be engaged in that, in that response. We, we share our resources of our, of our time and our talents and our abilities And yes, we share of our financial resources as well. Those are the good things that we share with each other. And sharing is what spiritual people must do. But based upon what we read in verses 7 through 9, I think it's worth pointing out that I believe the church in Galatia was having a really hard time doing that. I believe the church in Galatia was having a hard time sharing. They were not like the church in Philippi that we looked at last week that Paul just lays all kinds of, of blessings upon because they were, they were funding missionary expeditions and, and they were sending him gifts all the time. They were generous. They were open-handed. They weren't stingy. The Galatians, though, don't seem to fit that mold. And the reason that's the case is because of what Paul says in verses 7 through 9. For the sake of time this morning, I'm not going to go into great detail to it, but let me read it for you. He says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. And let us not grow weary while we are doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. 
when I was reading this passage of Scripture this week, and it's happening to me all the time, and I'm just being transparent with you, I can hear every sermon my dad ever preached. On these, and when I come to these passages, I can hear Daryl Dale preaching. And I can tell you the outline of these verses when he preached it. You will reap what you sow. You will reap more than what you sowed. And you will reap later than what you sowed. Therefore, this was his summary. He didn't have sermon in the sentences, but he had summaries. Therefore, you be careful what you sow, where you sow it, and be patient for God to bring the harvest. Now, those were the private sermons that he was preaching to me. That's why I remember them so well. But this is not the only time Paul says something like that. He says something in 2 Corinthians 9, 6 and 7, the same way, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let us each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a what? A cheerful giver. Jesus taught the same thing in Luke chapter 6, verse 38. Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over will be put into your bosom for with the same measure that you use it, it will be measured back to you. Listen, you will reap what you sow. You will reap more than what you sow and you will reap later than what you sow. So be careful. Go back to all of those fruits of the Spirit. Sow, sow into the lives those things. Do not sow into your own life the lusts of the flesh that produce corruption. The word corruption there is a word that literally means decay. It is like a corpse that is dying. It has no future. But if you sow to the Spirit, you will reap everlasting life. The difference could not be more clearly defined. Be careful. Oh, church, be careful where you sow. Be careful what you sow. Because you will reap that which you sow. Now, in case, in case you try to convince yourself otherwise, understand this. He says, he says there in verse uh, 7, do not be deceived. Don't engage in self-deception. You're not going to go around God's laws. What he says and what he has put in place will be how it will be. And then he says this, God is not mocked. You cannot turn your nose up to God. You can't turn your back on God. You can't just assume that I can do what I want to do and God's going to let me by with it. That is not how it works. God will not be mocked. And spiritual people are to share with one another. Now, if we paid attention to this entire section, we'll get a composite view of what Paul says living a spirit-filled, spirit-led life looks like. And what we've learned is that spiritual people will seek to restore an erring brother or sister. He, we won't berate them, we won't beat them up, but we will seek to restore them. Secondly, spiritual people come alongside others and help build them up. They, they come alongside those who are carrying great burdens and we help lift their load. We don't try to push them down further. Spiritual people also will examine themselves and keep a close watch on their own heart. They won't look down upon others with an air of superiority. And finally, spiritual people will share willfully and joyfully with others. Not hoarding their good, excuse me, hoarding their goods 
for their own, for their own selves. As I said at the beginning, what this passage makes clear is that since we who belong to Christ have been filled with his spirit, we do not live as islands unto ourselves, but rather we have a shared responsibility to and for each other. And that is what leads me to my sermon in the sentences, which is this. The spiritual life is not designed to be lived in private for the benefit of ourselves alone, but rather in community where we bear with one another and share with one another. Brothers and sisters, we who have been saved by the grace of God through faith in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ have been indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God, and we are to bear the image of our Savior so that others may clearly see that we have him in our lives and that they too will benefit from our actions and from the way that we live. And as we continually noted in our study of Philippians, we are to have the same mind that Christ had and we are to follow his example and imitate his life. And when we do, we will remember the words of Jesus from John 15 verse 13 where he says, greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. You see, That's what Jesus did when he left his throne in glory and came to this earth to die in our place, just as my brother testified to earlier, when Christ came and died for for rotten sinners just like us. He died on the, the cross. He took our place. He died in our stead. He paid the price that I deserve to pay. And he turned away God's wrath for me. And he set me free from the penalty of my sins. And he opened the door to heaven for me. In doing that, what I want you to know is that that Christ came to restore me. He came to mend me. He came to bring me back from the place where I had fallen. And in doing so, he bared my burden. And in love, he humbled himself to the point of death, even death of the cross, so that he might share with me his own righteousness and that one day I might share with him in his glory. Therefore, as brothers and sisters in Christ, and as Christians and as Christ followers, and as Holy Spirit-filled believers, we are to emulate Jesus, and we are to act like him, and we are to live like him, and we are to love like him. And I just have this question for you this morning. Does that accurately describe you? Can you honestly say that you are bearing and that you are sharing with others? Perhaps the question that needs to be asked is this, do you know Jesus? Have you ever come to him in simple faith, admitting your sin and acknowledging your need of his salvation? Have you humbled yourself before him and confessed him as Savior and Lord? I want you to know that the greatest offer that could ever be made to you, the greatest gift that you could ever receive is eternal life through Christ Jesus. The question is, will you trust in him? Will you believe in him? The Bible tells us to believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. Will you do that today? Will you make a commitment to following Christ and to living your life for him by bearing and sharing with one another? Brothers and sisters, this is the word of God, and it is for the people. Let's pray together. Lord, we do thank you for your love and mercy to us. We thank you that you came to bear our burden on Calvary's cross. 
a burden that we could never have lifted. It would have crushed us for eternity. Our sin was so great that there was no hope. Yet you came to bear our burden and give us life and to share with us the eternal glories of heaven forever and ever in your presence. That is what you have done for us. You offer us life eternal through faith in you. Lord, I have no doubt that across this room there are hundreds that have made that commitment to you, have trusted in you to be their Lord and Savior. I thank you for that. I pray for those that in this room that may not have ever placed their faith in you, that they've never come to that point of humility, of bowing their knee before the one whom all the earth will one day bow. I pray that today would be that day that your Holy Spirit would move in their hearts, convict them of sin and of righteousness and of the judgment to come. For those of us that our testimony is that we are truly believers in you, Lord, there may be some of us that need to repent of the fact that we've not been living a life that bears with others and shares with others. And I pray that as a result of the time that we've spent this morning considering your word, that your Holy Spirit would bring conviction into that life as well. Call us to be examples. Call us to be obedient to you. And help us to live that life that you call us to live. We pray these things in Christ's holy name. Amen.